Hey, good morning. Welcome to Mariner's Church. Thank you guys for being part of today. Stop being so friendly. <laughs> the longer you talk, the less I can. So maybe that's the point. Have you ever thought of that? So, hey, thank you guys for being part of today. I'm Paul. I am one of the pastors here, and it's Really, really good to see you, and uh, thank you for um, being here. If this is your first Sunday, welcome. Um, we're a group of Coastside people that uh, come together and want to see um, God and connect with God in a deeper way through His Son, Christ. And so um, if you're into that, great. If you're not into that yet, um, you will be, um, I think, over time. And um, God is, is great, and He's able in so many, so many ways. Um, we're in a series that we are calling Hope Changes Everything, and word hope, it's a, it's a good word. I mean, esperanza, it's a, it's a great word, it's a deep word, it's a rich word, and, and, and we're kind of actually committing this whole year to this whole idea of hope. The Bible would talk about faith, hope, and love are the great things, and we talk a lot about faith here, we talk a lot about love here, but hope is kind of the missing piece, and so we're going to be spending time um, looking at hope and how... It really does change everything. It does change life as you move through through your life. Um, hope is not a wish, okay? You know, it's not, uh, oh, I hope this or I hope that. I hope there's something good on Netflix. There's not, okay? There's just not. I've looked. I've looked all the way through. And hope has nothing to do with luck or, or, or with chance. Um, pastor Kurt, our youth pastor, came into my office um, this week, and he gave me a little piece of paper and said, here, this will give you hope. And it was from a fortune cookie. It was from a fortune cookie. that he And he had gone to lunch at a Chinese food place. And, and they give you, you know, you know, they give you fortune cookies in those little cellophane wrapper deals. And, and they have those little sayings on them that are personal for you, absolutely personal for you. Even though they're mass printed and placed randomly in cookies and by chance distributed to you, um, they are actually deeply applicable to you and your life. So I looked at it, and, and now it's not just a saying they have on it. it. They have lots of stuff on them. Now, for instance, they had the Chinese word for swimming. Yeah, I needed that. I just needed that. Yeah. And it had, it, had, it had my lucky numbers, my, my lucky numbers. It gave me my lucky numbers. And I didn't know I had lucky numbers. And I'm thinking, what am I supposed to do with these? You know, what do I do with lucky numbers? And so I, I concluded I'm just going to play the lottery. So I'm going to take this week's, this Sunday's offering and just go down to the corner store. And <laughs> there it goes with my lucky numbers. And it, it had, it had a, a saying, and this was the saying it, it had. Go ahead, Everett, if you would show it. It is by those who have suffered that the world is most advanced. And I had to think about that one, and I thought, the suffering has to do... I said, oh, I'm suffering from a pretty annoying youth pastor right about now, you know, and so how am I going to advance the world? Um, you don't get hope from a fortune cookie, and if you're looking for a cellophane-wrapped fortune cookie to give you hope, you know, good luck with, with that, that one. The guy in the Bible asked this um, question. He said, why are you in despair, O my soul, and why are you disturbed within me? And that's a good question because that's the reality of life sometimes. My soul is downcast inside. There's lots of disruptions and, and disturbing. And here's how he turns the corner. He said this, hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. Hope in the Bible and the hope that God wants us to have, it's a, it's a God thing. It's not, it's not 
chance, it's not a wish, it's not an empty promise. Hope is the assurance that God is in charge of life, and he's in charge of my life, and that no matter what happens, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. That's what hope is, and you can lay that template on every circumstance in life, that he's a good God, and he's in charge of life and my life, no matter what happens. I'm going to be okay. I think hope is more uh, of, of a noun than it is a verb. Um, it's something that you have. It's more than a thing you do. The Bible would say this. We have this hope. We have it. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And I like that. I like the whole concept of things being firm. And I, and I like the concept of things being secure for our, for our lives. And we've been looking at how to increase our hope level, how to raise kind of the ability to have hope in our, in our lives. And, and sometimes it's just simply raising the expectations of what we think God can do. And that's very, very important. Just, God, what can you do today? You know, I'm expecting God to do, to do this. And we raise our, our hope quotient or our hope level by getting hope from others. We need other people in our lives to speak up so it, so it builds hope in us. And, and today, I, I kind of want to, as we finish this part of the series, I want to talk about the reality of having hope day to day. Because we can talk about things that happen big, and, and we can say, here's how to find hope in those kinds of things. But there's the reality of just simply finding hope in the very, very day to day, how it works itself out, how it practically begins to, to move through it. Because you talk about big hope stuff and sometimes you can't feel it and you can't see it and it's just not there for you or you can feel it on a Sunday morning, you know, and we sing about God is able, you know, more than able and all these kinds of things and we have all kinds of great expectations and, and hope, but then you get back in your car and the engine light comes on, you know, and it's like, oh man, you know, and, and, and what do you do with that? Or Thursday comes and you've forgotten to take out the trash and so at 6.15 in the morning when it's raining, you're out in your boxers hauling those garbage cans out to the thing, and then you come back in, and the water heater's leaking. You know, it's those kinds of things. Or you turn on the TV, and only Nicolas Cage movies are on. You know, it's just like, you need hope in those kinds of circumstances. And what I want to do is just make a few comments um, on this, um, and talk about just kind of the day-to-day stuff, little practical ways that we can survive this life thing. And then we're, we're going to Boy, tie it up with that, which gives us the most hope in the whole world. And we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper this morning. And so as we, even this whole time as we prepare for that. But here we go. Here's how to have hope, I think, in the, in the day-to-day. Um, when I sometimes lose hope, and if you're taking notes, here you go. When I sometimes lose hope, remember I'm normal. Remember I'm normal. Um, and, and I hate to give us an out. I hate to give you an excuse for not having hope, you know, when things go on. Um, or an excuse that this hope thing is just kind of doesn't come. But I'm not a big fan of, of those that are major positive thinking people, you know. And if you are that way, good for you, you know, um, um, wonderful. Um, I'm glad to. But those that are in the hyper positive thinking that, that you just think positively about absolutely everything and everything's going to be okay, I just think you're not normal. You, know? <laughs> you don't live in, 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 in the real world all the time because it sometimes denies the real emotion of life. And what happens, and sometimes it's hard to think positively about this. Because there are times when you drop hope. You know, hope just drops out. And it doesn't mean you're lousy at this. It, it doesn't mean <clears throat> you're wimpy. It just means, I think, a lot of times you're just simply normal. You're just simply normal. 
And there are a couple of examples. And the only reason I can say this is because there is what I will just simply say biblical precedent for this, meaning that there are some stories and situations in the Bible where some fairly big names lost some hope. Let's look at one. This is the guy that wrote half the New Testament. His name is Paul, and he was radically converted to Jesus Christ in an incredibly great way, and he went all over the world, the known world at that time, talking about Jesus and and starting churches. And we would think if anybody would never lose hope, it would be him. He writes this. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. That does not sound like the most positive thinking guy in the world at that point, does it? He's at the point in his life where he's saying, I didn't think I was going to make it. I mean, I thought this was it. It was, it, was, it was over. And he's under all this pressure and all these problems were happening in his life and arrests and persecutions. And he says, I'm not going to make it through this one. You could say he dropped hope. He was just normal. How about Jesus? Let's look at him. When he was in the garden before his arrest, he kept going back and forth in prayer. And, and, and as he was praying, it was like, so it's like drops of blood were coming down. And he's crying out, Abba, Father. He said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. I mean, there's just this great sense of, 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 of doom that's coming. And it was, and it was death on the cross and all of that. And this is, again, where the hypostatic union, you know, the, the connection of God and man and, and, uh, t- together in Jesus in one person. And he recovers, and he says, yet not what I will, but what you will. And so he recovered. But there's a moment in time where he had to take it. It's normal. It's just normal that there'll be that. And this, this kind of kind of, kind of um, um, leads to the next one. I need to be aware of the hope gap. The hope gap. And, and let me explain what that means. Um, did you guys lose power this week? Any of you lose power this week on the coast? Any of you lose power? Yeah, you did. Yeah, we, yeah. yeah, we did too. We did here on Tuesday. It was gone. Anyway, we, we have in our building, right here in our, in our building, we have a generator. I don't know if you guys know that. We have a generator. It's a big generator. Big generator. And it's pretty cool. I mean, it is pretty cool to have a generator on your property. It's awesome. It generates something like volts or amps or BTUs or something like that. I don't know. But it, whatever it does is it generates millions of them, maybe billions. You know, it just generates all these kinds of things. And, and sometimes I'll ask my friends who are pastors, uh, I'll ask them, does your church have a generator? You know, does your church have a generator? And they say, no, but we have our building fund paid for. <laughs> anyway, one of the things that's true um, um, here about our generator is bleep, the power goes off, you know, bleep, you know, bleep, and there's a few seconds before the generator kicks in. You've been in buildings like that. For maybe your building, your office building has it too. Power goes out, you know, and all of a sudden, starts up and, and, and light comes on again. Understand that is going to be true for you and it's going to be true for me, okay? There is a, what I will call a hope gap between this time where the situation or the circumstance raises itself up and the time that, that hope kind of kicks in. Now, now, again, the more hope you have going into this, the, the less the gap is going to be or the less severe the gap is going to be when it does happen. But, but there's going to be a few moments of time before the generator of hope kicks in. I did a scientific survey um, this week. I did it with the staff. How about that? All four staff members. So it was very scientific. And I, and I, and I, and I asked them, 
Um, when problems happen for you, um, are, are you completely always hopeful? And it's like, no, 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 no. You know, there's a moment of time before hope kicks in. And that's true. You know, that's the hope gap. There's few seconds or moments or hours of time before the hope can kick in again. Um, there's a gap in time when the realization of what's happening in my life can be energized by hope, by God's power, and the Holy Spirit begins to move. Why the gap? I don't know. Maybe it's part of that we're human. But there's going to be that gap in, in time. And again, that's why we need other people to speak into our lives and help us through. And that's why we have Scripture to kind of help us work through those kinds of things. But there will be a gap. And you have to live with a gap. You just have to live with that gap where you don't have that incredible hope and that incredible assurance in those moments of time. And what you do in the gap counts. I mean, it does. It really does count. What you do in that gap will count. And that's why I love Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I'm God. Be still. Just be still. Sometimes it's just shut up and remember who God is. Be still and know that I'm God. The hope. And then um, the next one is, I, I need to constantly look for God's bigger picture in this. Um, I had to take a fine art class in college. Um, it was part of our requirements, and it was either going to be art history or singing, okay? <laughs> yeah, and I knew I'd fail singing, so I didn't take that one. I took art history, and it was actually pretty cool. Actually, it turned out to be a pretty cool class. Um, we looked at cave drawings, and we looked at sculpture. And we looked at architecture, you know, it's all, all part of that. And, you know, we learned about flying buttresses. Man, you've got to love flying buttresses. In fact, I asked the building team if we could have a few flying buttresses <laughs> here, here and there. Maybe put a gargoyle up on top as well. And we also looked at paintings, you know, all the masters, all the fine paintings, and all that kind of stuff. And the book I had was great. You had to buy the book. Remember buying college books? Those of you that are in college or going into college, good luck with that one, you know. And I bought it for 130 bucks. It's an art history book for 130 books. They are like that, okay? And the great thing about it is actually you can sell the books back. 130 books, I sold it back for 15 bucks. Okay, how's that? But anyway, anyway, this, um, um, they'd have these pictures, and, and as you'd page through it, they would have these pictures, and they would call them details, details of these paintings. And what they would do is they would take a portion of that picture, and they w- then they would blow it up so you could see the details of it. Now, uh, now, here's an example of one. I pulled this one out, okay? This is not a painting in itself. This is actually a detail of a painting. Right there. And they would simply talk about this and they'd say, look at, you know, you can kind of see the, the clouds in the background, you can see kind of the hills, and you see kind of the muddy beach. And I look at that and I think, ah, eh, it doesn't do a whole lot for me, you know, not there. In fact, sometimes when I look at that, I think, well, you know, if that's like my life, that's kind of, kind of muddy and kind of there and kind of just blah um, on this one. Um, this is a detail, however. This is all I'm seeing. This is the real picture of the whole thing. Go ahead, Everett, if you would. This is the whole picture of that. So. It's a detail of, you know, one of the most famous paintings ever in history of, of the Mona Lisa. And, and you have no idea what that small detail is until you see a picture of the whole thing. You don't understand how that little piece fits in until you're able to grasp the whole complete picture. So if I look at the detail, it looks like mud and it looks like a problem, but the real problem is that I'm so close, I'm so close to that detail, I'm so close to that issue that's going on in my life, that I am unable at that point in time to see the whole big picture. 
you know, it takes up my whole field of vision. And as a result, I'm looking at nothing but a muddy seashore. You know, that's all I'm, I'm looking at. Not being able to see the big picture of everything that God is doing. And what we have to do is we have to learn to be able to step back just a little bit and begin to see how this thing begins to work out and how this thing fits in to what God is doing. And all of a sudden to realize that this little square, this little detail, that's all I look at because that's my life. But my life isn't the most important thing in this picture. The most important thing in the picture is the masterpiece that God is doing with this whole world and with this whole life. And I have to train myself to see the bigger picture. This life's about God. This whole thing's about God. It's not my picture. It's not my picture. It's not my painting. I'm in it, you know, and I'm glad I'm in it, you know. But it's not about me. In fact, I find greater fulfillment in the fact that it's not about me, okay? I find greater fulfillment that this world and this life is not about me. It's not about my life. It's not about me. It's not about my happiness. It's not about my fulfillment. It's not about my completeness. It's not about my ambitions. It's not about my goals in life that I need to achieve. It's not even about my kids' happiness. It's not about my life being better or getting better or having the things I would want. It's about God. It always has been about God. And that's okay because I find my finest fulfillment, my best fulfillment, not when my will is done, but when what? His will is done. So here's the bigger picture. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. There you go. That's what it's about. That's the painting. That's the masterpiece. And it's an awesome one. And I so, so wish oftentimes I just get my eyes off this little tiny square that's all I'm seeing and see it in light of the bigger picture. Last one is God works on my future and he's working on my present and he's working on my past. Um, cool part of the Bible, you've you got to read this, and I think it's like the whole chapter concentrated, and it's Romans chapter 8, and for many of you, it's one of your favorite chapters in the Bible. It's, it's one of mine, and it talks about my future, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read it. I'm just going to read it and make a couple comments on parts of, 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 of the verses that I pulled out, and as I do, apply them to your life. Would you please apply them to your life just as I read? It says this, and I'm convinced, I'm convinced that nothing will ever separate us from God's love neither death nor life neither angels nor demons nothing neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love feel God's love right now no power in the sky above or in the earth below indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord that's hope how about my present? What should we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Right now in your life, what can be against you? God who counts clouds and stars and God who knows the number of grains of sand on the beach. 
God who spoke and the universe was born said, I'm for you. I am for you. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? And then your past. And you might be saying, I don't want to get into my past. My past wouldn't play too well in a holy place like this. Or maybe you're thinking, I've had my chance and I screwed it up. And maybe I'm just here to see if I can get some God crumbs because I don't deserve much more than that. Here we go. Here we go. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. None. No matter your past, no matter your present, you come to him. No condemnation. When I believe that, when I ask to come into Christ, the God of the universe says, no condemnation for you, Paul. There's none. I understand the only one in all of the universe that could ever, ever find you guilty of anything is God. And he's the one who died for you. Why would he call you guilty? Why would he make your life hard? Why would he make you make you go through things that are not part of his loving plan for you? God of the universe says no condemnation. This is weird. Remember that stupid fortune cookie slip that Kirk gave me. Remember the saying? Remember the saying? Let's show it again. It says, um, it is by those who have suffered that the world is most advanced. That statement is truer than they realized. The world is advanced through the suffering of one, and that would be Jesus. The elements we have here they don't do anything on their own. They, they, they don't. You know, the, the crackers that you're going to eat, they come from a bag, okay? And the juice that you're going to drink, it comes from a, a bottle we buy at Safeway, you know? There's nothing magical about this. I would say the magic, if I could use that word, the reality of what happened, comes from us accepting what these stand for, what these symbolize, what they're all about. The cracker, the bread, we would call it. Jesus said, when you take this, I want you to remember me. What part do we want to remember? He's saying, remember that I was God, the very God, the creator of all. And because you have a problem, Paul, of sin, I'm going to come down into your world because I'm going to show you what God is like. Call him Jesus. He took on flesh and blood. And this is the foundation of our faith, that God came down. But the problem that I had was I sinned, and I have to pay for that. And, and my sins were too great to pay for it, and the wages of sin is what the Bible would say is death. I, and and it, only a person can die, and so Jesus came down to be a person and shed his blood for me. And it's a switch, it's a change, it's a substitution, it's a... When I say I believe that, I'm accepting that, I'm placing my entire trust on that. I'm becoming in Christ now, believing with all my heart. He did that for me. Um, The Bible says, by grace you have been saved through faith. 
not of yourself. It's a gift of God, a gift of God. And so we take this to remember. And, and, and we come by saying, I want to be in Christ. I want to. It's a choice you have to make. Taking the cup and eating the bread doesn't make you in Christ. It's a choice you make. A surrender of the will. I was speaking to a friend and he said, I know what that takes and that's a great cost. I have to give up myself into God and it's like, yeah, that's it. You got it. Maybe you think that um, you're too bad. No, you're not. Maybe you think that you've done it before but it didn't stick and so you're back saying, well, why would God accept me again? Because I walked away from it. He does. He understands. Maybe you're comparing religions and you're saying, okay, this is the only one that provides grace and love and forgiveness. This is, I want Jesus this morning. And we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray. And then, and then when I'm done praying, we're going to do a song and then you're going to be free to come and take a cup and bread. There's tables in the front and in the back as well. Um, when you take the elements, just go back and hold on to them. We take together. Um, as a family, as this is a family time. Inviting you to pray right now. Um, let God right now um, reveal your soul to you. Only you can answer the question, am I in Christ? Only you can ask that and answer it. Am I in Christ? And if you don't know and you want to be, right now God is prompting you and moving you and the Holy Spirit is moving you to say, I do believe in Jesus. I want to believe more and more and I believe that he died for me. I believe that when he was on a cross, he was able to take all the wrong, stupid stuff I've ever done in my entire life and that God the Father looked at him now with my sin and God punished Jesus instead of me and that's an amazing love and when Jesus said it is finished what he was saying was it's done I've paid for it no longer do people have to be guilty for this and if you want that right now it's free it's a gift that you would accept that for you and now your first act may be taking the Lord's Supper in remembrance and thankfulness of what he's given you. For those of you that are already believers and maybe you've stepped away from that for a while, come back. For those of you that are completely committed to Christ, thank you. This is just an affirmation of the incredible love that God has for you. So as you take, take, take it with love, thank you, God. Thank you that we can do this now. Jesus' name.